research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Joined, as always, with my co-host, Eric Eggers. Eric's great to have you here. It's a very special edition of The Drill Down podcast. We've got a couple celebrities who I think, uh, you know, if you respect investigative journalists and people that are really making something happen, I think it's uh, maybe one of the highest compliments you can pay. Well, it is. These two gentlemen, I met them, I want to say six or seven years ago, um, and they have done an amazing job as the Edgar County watchdogs. And what they're really about is holding government accountable. And they're doing this in the state of Illinois, which to me is is an amazing uh, compliment. So gentlemen, Edgar County Watchdog, it's great to have you here. You are a 501c4. I want to give the audience today a sense of the many successes that you've had, but also give people an idea of what they can actually do to make a difference in their local community. So first of all, I'm struck by the enormous success that you've had. Um, it's now more than 500 local officials that have either been charged or lost their jobs as a result of your work? 560. That's amazing. 560. And how long have you been doing this? Uh, we, we incorporated in 2013. In 2013. So you've been doing this 10 years. So that's that's about 56 officials a year. I think we just solved the uh, Biden administration labor shortage, right? <laughs> Kirk, <laughs> Kirk Allen's throwing them all in jail. <laughs> that's exactly right. But tell us a little bit about why you got started and why you think you are so effective. Because without a doubt, whether people support you or the people that hate what you're doing, corrupt officials, all acknowledge that you're in, in, incredibly successful. Well, I got started based on uh, my first attendance to a 911 board meeting, and the short story is they lied to me. And in that process, I learned where the rules were, the state law. Yep. When I started applying the state law to what they were doing, I found out that not only did they not know what they were doing, they didn't even know those particular laws existed. <laughs> they just did what they've always done, and right. nobody ever had pointed them in the direction they needed to be. Yes. And you two, before you were Edgar County watchdogs, were what? You were high-powered attorneys. You were CPAs. You were Wall Street guys, right? You had a lot of power and influence, right? That's how you've been so successful in this? Uh, no, I, I retired from the Army, uh, and I was working at a janitor at the local Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> Which made you immensely qualified to clean up the dirt, right, that needed to be cleaned up in government. And, and what was your... I retired out of the Air Force, moved back to the family farm, I'm volunteer fire chief there in my local community. Um, no, I'm not a lawyer, no legal background. And that's what I think is one of the remarkable takeaways here for the audience, which is you don't have to be a high-powered attorney. You don't have to be somebody that had enormous influence and power before you can make a difference by the power with which following the law and knowing the rules. So give a couple of takeaways um, that you would say are the most important things for people to understand uh, if they're going to go this route. And I think a lot of people do want to go this route. They just don't know how to do it. And then we're going to talk about a couple of uh, cases 
uh, that you've been involved in that Eric and I are particularly interested in. But give an idea of how you get started, um, what you would encourage people to do to get started in this to be effective. I think the first thing is whatever unit of government you have an interest in, in looking into, let's say it's your school board, you have to read the school code in the state law and identify what we call the rule book. And if you don't know what the rules are, it's hard to go to a meeting you know, and confront them on things. But once you know what the rules are, you can determine whether or not they're complying with what they need to be doing. And more often than not, even though these boards that are elected, they have no concept of what it is to read the actual law. And that's what strikes me, by the way, your story repeated is a lot of the officials don't know these laws. Not at all. So if you take the time as a local citizen and learn what the statutes and what the laws say, uh, you're going to have somebody with sort of superpower skills in a way because the local officials don't even know what the, what the, what the rules are. John, you want to add to this? Yeah. Uh, on top of whatever local government you're looking at, um, their laws, you need to rehearse uh, and read the public meetings and public records laws to know whether or not you can speak at a public meeting and to know what types of records you can request. Yeah. So, so you want to be informed. You bet. Absolutely. So a couple questions, um, because I think one of my favorite phrases is, you know, you never want to mistake incompetence for conspiracy. So in the 560 cases where you've seen people go to jail and I mean, have you ever run into something where it's like, okay, this guy wasn't necessarily being nefarious. He wasn't, uh, intentionally withholding access or information. It's just like, as you noted, they, they don't know the rules and th- it might be their job to, but if they don't know it, and do you have, like, how do you deal with somebody in that situation? Well, I would say out of the 560, we're probably talking 559. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> no, seriously, most of those that have been ran out of office, um, you'll know in the first two to three minutes at a meeting what you're dealing with on how they treat you. Um, we do come across quite a few that, um, that don't resign. They're actually, we're helping them. You know, and they seek our help and guidance, and we, yeah. we work with them to try to solve the problems because they don't know. But the vast majority of those that we've outed, um, just pure problems. I mean, they absolutely are. They're going to do it their way, and nobody's going to come in and tell them otherwise. And and the ones that are accidentally doing something they may not know about, they'll voluntarily fix the problem. Right. Or at least admit that, yeah, that's, that was a problem, and we're not going to do it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's the cover-up, right? It's, it's what is the initial reaction when you come forward and say you're in violation of the statute or these funds are unaccountable for? You can pretty much tell by the initial reaction, right, what, what yeah. people's attitude is. If it's defensive and it's how dare you question me, that's one thing. If it's sort of shock and like, oh, my goodness, what are you talking about? Right. That, that kind of indicates. And in most of your experiences, the, you get the first reaction, which is you guys get out of here. You don't know what you're who, who about. are you. And you're not, you don't even live here Yeah, as if that matters to the message being delivered. Yeah. Now you've done this on the local level and in lots of ways, people using public resources for their own benefit, that sort of thing. You've also done it on the state level and you did some work as it related to mask mandates and COVID um, in the state of Illinois. Is that something, Kirk, you could tell us about? Yeah, and uh, Governor Pritzker issued his first executive order, I believe, was March 12th. We wrote our first article on March 15th. Um, the Illinois Department of Public Health has a criteria outlining, you know, who controls everything when it comes to a pandemic. Um, the procedures as far as getting people, you know, stuck at home, if you will, or quarantined. And we spelled out in clear detail what the rules and the law said. The governor, well, ironically, let me back up. The governor's first executive order that he claimed was related to the pandemic had 
nothing in it related to the pandemic. <laughs> His first executive order was to delay the licensing requirements for um, uh, recreational marijuana. And this is in March of 2020. Yes, sir. So, and of course, as we've done research about the Pritzker family and their connections to marijuana. And yes. yeah, so that it's interesting that they would use, what do they say? Never let a crisis go to waste, right? So, <laughs> right. so COVID's happening and Governor Pritzker, who's got family connections to the mar- marijuana industry, his first thing is we're going to delay marijuana licensing. Correct. And, the, and the tie is, by the way, Joby Pritzker, right? Who's, who's his nephew or cousin? I believe it's his nephew. His nephew uh, is a major investor in marijuana companies. Imagine yes, we've, we've written we've written about that family connection as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that whole process, though, we we proved unequivocally he can't do what he's doing, but he did it anyway. And we couldn't find a lawyer to stand up and fight back. And it wasn't until what, John? Probably six months later. Yeah. We had one attorney downstate that started taking him on and challenging him. That was Tom DeVore, who ran for Illinois Attorney General. You know, after this past election cycle, uh, but we blew it out of the out of the water. And all we did was read the statute. It's it's clear as a bell. There was nothing hard to interpret. You do not have to be a, a lawyer to read state law. What does that mean, just for our audience? Like the, when you say you blew it out of the water, every point we made, we knew we were right. But a lot of folks, because we're not lawyers, you know, what do we know? But everything that we wrote turns out in court cases as it moved forward through this whole pandemic process, we we nailed it. We were we were right 100% of the time. And is that something that you feel like in the COVID era? Because I know I, one of the reasons why we were both very excited to have you on the podcast is because we see stuff all the time about outrage fatigue, right? We're, we're inundated with news stories by how frustrating things are how people like Hunter Biden are doing these nefarious, terrible things and they're getting away with it. And people want to know what, what if anything can you do about it? And I think in the COVID era, I think specifically as it relates to schools, that's actually when people started to engage and say, hey, wait a minute, this, the, the government actually has a lot of power to negatively impact our life. And we had no idea. So have, have you guys, what's your sort of reaction to seeing what the government did in COVID, given your background and trying to hold people accountable? And have you been more helpful? Have people reached out to you more during the COVID era than they would have beforehand just because now the stakes got a lot more real? Uh, during that first year of COVID, um, our readership went up threefold. Uh, we had over 3 million folks following our site. Typically, we run about 11 to 1,200 average, but that year it blew up. Uh, we had numbers we'd never seen before. We went to school board meetings. Um, uh, as a, an Air Force vet, one of the things I asked the school nurses have you ever been taught how to identify symptoms of hypoxia? Because there's different levels of hypoxia. In a student wearing a mask all the time, they come home and they're tired, they're worn out. Why? It's the first indicators of hypoxia. Yeah. But we've got school nurses that had no idea what hypoxia even was. Right. But they're going to mandate we have to wear a mask. Well, you're going to create problems, and you wonder why these kids are falling asleep You know, three, four hours into the school day. It's because they are, in fact, having a limited oxygen intake, but they don't want to talk about that. You know, oh, we got to protect everybody. And as we all know, the mask didn't protect everybody. Right, right. Um, that, to me, I think is one of the common threads that runs through everything is that, that, particularly with COVID, but you could look at other issues, is that government officials so often, it's kind of an appeal to authority. I'm in this position of authority, so I obviously know what I'm talking about and what I'm doing, and you are a private citizen don't. And what you guys are is a real testament to the fact that you can simply read things and understand things and raise them. And you oftentimes will be surprised at how ignorant 
government officials are prepared to be. So as we look at issues related to the mask mandates that seem to potentially be coming back, what advice would you give to a mom or dad or somebody concerned at their local level thinking this is coming back? What are some of the tools in the toolbox that they might use uh, to raise these issues in a way that's effective? I think the most important is two questions I always ask is says who and with what proof. Mm. We have people that will tell you things, but it's it has no foundation or no, stat, no statutory authority. So when they can't back it up with any facts or hard evidence, it, it really starts to expose what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. John, did you think this would become as big as it's become for, for you guys? I mean, you started this out because it was a, a, a local issue that raised your concern. You've now become statewide. You guys are now doing training. Uh, in states around the country, from Florida to California to Pennsylvania. Uh, are you surprised at how this has caught fire? Um, yes, it is really surprising. But when I think about it, I'm also surprised it's not bigger than it actually is. Yeah, because <clears throat> the uh, need is there. Yeah, the oh. need is there. People just need to know. They need to, they need to figure out how to do, how to look at the local government. And one thing I always tell people, show up to the public meeting and sit there. It doesn't matter if you even say anything because public officials act different when people are in the audience, <laughs> just show up, have a seat and sit down and watch the meeting. And then you'll figure out what you need to look into. What would you say is the most egregious, like ridiculous? I can't believe they think they're going to get away with this example of something you've seen a government official try. Well, it's just Coles County. Just, um, what last week, in May, they held a they they voted on compensation for the next ten years for county board members. State law, you have to do it 180 days prior to the election. The motion failed. They last week, and that was the motion in May. Last week, they voted to amend the minutes from the motion in May to make it effective. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Yeah, it was a previous board, and now it's you know I consider it forgery. It's a way to give themselves a pay raise, right, yeah. without any accountability. Exactly. And that was through advice and consent of their state's attorney. So the state attorney signed off. Absolutely. On this egregious uh, uh, abuse of power. Right. That's amazing. Uh, I want you to tell me the story about the CPA uh, that um, she was concerned about corruption in her town. Uh, this happens all over America. Um, and you guided her and helped her. And she now has led to a situation where there are people being indicted for serious crimes. Can you just give us that, that story in a nutshell? Yeah. Diane Benjamin, she runs a, um, a local blog, BLN news, which is Bloomington news. And she was monitoring her, uh, the, uh, sports arena for the local city. And there's supposed to be payments from commissions of sales to the, to the city. But when she started looking at the annual reports and the finances of the city, when she could get her hands on them, um, she, she was void or there were, the records were void of any of those commissions. And so she FOIAed additional records and John, you, I think you walked her through the process to file that lawsuit. Yeah. If you want she, to pick that up. Initially she asked me, how can I get the records that they won't give them to me? I said, we'll file a lawsuit. So she grabbed a piece of paper and an ink pen and hand wrote <laughs> a lawsuit and filed it with the circuit clerk. Now, we tease her and say she wrote it on a piece of toilet paper, but it was actually a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, but handwritten. Handwritten, handwritten lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, they filed, the city filed a motion or two. She had to redo it, and then she typed it. 
Yeah. Uh, but initially it was pretty funny. It was a handwritten lawsuit and she ended up prevailing. And I believe in, in either that, that one or the one following it. Yep. And she got the records and through that process, uh, criminal complaints were filed with the state police requesting investigations and the state police, you know, confirmed. And that was a case where they, uh, indicted, I believe it was six officials of the sports complex. Amazing. Amazing. And I, I'm pretty sure four of them, they've all pled guilty other than I think two, two got off. Yeah. Uh, probably the underlings from the management, but they've already been, there's already been convictions passed down on that, but that was 111 indictments. Amazing. And it was one woman yeah. who did nothing more than go to the meetings and ask questions. Yeah. Now you guys are out there literally helping people go to jail. I can't imagine it's done wonders for your popularity within the local municipality <laughs> set. And do you guys ever catch any personal animus or well, do people generally think that, Hey, I appreciate you're doing a public service. We don't help them go to jail. They do that all on their own. Um, <laughs> we, we help, uh, everybody know that they're getting ready to go to jail. That's what we do. And we do get a lot of thanks. Um, a lot of people tell us they appreciate what we're doing and, and occasionally we'll, we'll get, uh, you know, a threat here and there, but I, I really don't worry about them because nobody's going to drive three hours to my house out in the country to, to do something to me. So. Yeah, I would agree. For the most part, uh, people do appreciate what we're doing. Yeah. And I think now, um, I mean, we've been doing this. We actually started independently in 2010. So we've been doing it long enough now that we've got a credibility, you know, that our track record speaks for itself. And, yeah. we, and we publish the public records that we write about, all of them, good or bad. We publish the records in the articles and the videos of the meetings and everything we do. Yeah, it's transparency, transparency, transparency. And there still is, you know, you hear the term all the time, silent majority. There is a silent majority out there that does care about these issues. It, it, people get discouraged all the time. They don't think anybody cares. That's because they're isolated. When you start working through these types of organizations work. So if people are interested in doing this in their community, uh, first of all, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, and second of all, what would you recommend as the first couple of steps? Um, well, they can go to our website, Edgar County Watchdogs with an S dot com or Illinois Leaks dot com and uh, send us a message. Uh, we have contact us on our website. Um, they can call our hotline, leave a message, but we really need to know sometimes we get a message that's looks credible, but they don't tell us what unit of government they're talking about. Yeah. You know, my city's using a credit card for whatever, and we don't even know what city it is, so we can't even act on it. Yeah, so be specific. People got to give you specific information, and you also do training seminars. So if there's a community, I mean, look, you have to have a community group that's active, that's moving. They're, you guys, your time is valuable. You're not just going to show up. Uh, but if there's a group that's active, you are prepared to come and help train them. Absolutely. Yeah, 25 to 50 people won't be there. We were in Sanford last year, Sanford, Florida. That, last that was year. almost a hundred people in that class. Um, and we don't charge for them. We just show up and give a four hour seminar. So does the, the 559 people that have gone to jail or the 560, does that include people that have been prosecuted because of people that have taken your seminars or you guys sort of have. Little, Additional little branches. Yeah, a little of both. Of the 560, we've had 197 indictments. Um, I think out of that is right up approximately 40 actual convictions. Um, the, the, Diane Benjamin's case, there was 111 indictments, but they narrowed it all down to, you know, they were 
convicted on six counts, you know, so it, the numbers are from an indictment to conviction is, is a little, you know, disputed. Um, but a lot of folks either won't run for office again, or they'll resign. Typically it's with, oh, I didn't sign up for, you know, to be bullied by the watchdogs. We're not bullying them. We're just simply asking them to follow the law. Right. Right. Um, but the process is duplicatable, and that's what's so exciting about it. We have other people getting the results that we are getting just by applying this standard. And it's a, a model that we have found. If it can work in the communist state of Illinois, <laughs> it can work anywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it does. I mean, you were telling me some stories about how much resistance you get from government officials in Illinois, and it's really quite uh, quite remarkable and quite stunning. So I think it's states like Florida. Eric, I know you've done some local stuff as well in Florida. It's a major, major problem that we have. So anyway, we appreciate the work that you guys have done. Uh, we've been with uh, Kirk Allen and John Kraft. They are the Edgar County Watchdogs. They do terrific work. They are getting results. Do not be discouraged out there. You can fight the system and you can win. Uh, these two gentlemen have done so. They're not trained lawyers. They're not high-powered Wall Street guys. They're regular guys in the sense of what their backgrounds are, but they're extraordinary in the results that they're getting. Thank you for joining us. You can find our podcast at thedrilldown.com. Until next time, thank you very much. <laughs>